Hello, and welcome to the Swiss Asset Management Talk podcast presented by WHVP. WHVP has been helping Americans move assets offshore for over 30 years. This podcast is intended to help Americans learn about the various subjects that relate to offshore investing and investing outside of the U.S. market and the U.S. dollar. Now, let's get into it. So, uh, welcome back. Jamie and Owens, uh, we are now about to start our fourth season of the, the uh, Asset Management Podcast. I'm Asset Management Talk Podcast, and uh, I'm really excited to be back in it with you guys in a new studio. Maybe the, the viewers or listeners, um, we're, we're in a new area of the office, so that's exciting. And uh, we're really excited to uh, bring our guests um, this new season that's going to have a mix of interviews. Um, obviously, us as a team talking about various topics um, related to asset management and the, especially in particular the Swiss asset management and what we can do for Americans um, and, and working with Americans. Um, so today we're going to be uh, talking quickly, just covering what happened with the World Economic Forum in Switzerland in the past two weeks, um, when it ended two weeks ago. Um, and then we're going to be talking about client relationship management, what that means for us. Uh, what that, uh, how we see it, what it is to our business model, and um, how we approach um, client relationships. Um, so to start off, um, maybe Urs, you could, and Jamie, you can both share a little bit on um, what it's been like growing up in the country that hosts the World Economic Forum. We know uh, people have strong opinions about this uh, topic in general, um, but maybe you could just give us a, your perspective as Swiss um, people uh, about what the Economic Forum is and what it's you know been around, how it's how it's affected you guys, I guess, in your life growing up. Sure. Yeah. Should I get started? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the World Economic Forum, the the WEF, is very well known, very controversial as well. And for us as as Swiss people, or for myself, I think it has never been, I guess, as controversial as it has been around the world because it, it has just been here. I, I have friends who have worked for the WEF. I know every year a lot of people who go there. Um, I think it speaks for our nation, for our country, that we have the neutrality and the safety that is needed to host um, a business conference or like an economic conference on that scale. And I think what sometimes gets lost in the conversation a little bit is that a lot of small and medium-sized enterprises are um, there as well, that a lot of startups are there as well. And of course, we, we can talk about and debate uh, what the actual value of the conference is, how much change to actually bring about. But I think it's certainly always an interesting time to be here and see all the world leaders coming together in the walls and seeing everything that they um, discuss and talk about during the time they stay in Switzerland. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe you can share your, your perspective on it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, as Jamie already mentioned, it is a an important event because it um, it shows the importance of Switzerland as a global place to talk to each other also like the long history of being neutral and also like providing this kind of environment where people just can meet with each other and uh, talk about stuff as Jamie also said I mean a lot of the discussions I'm not sure how like helpful they are but it's a uh, it's still, I think it's a networking event. It's nice that we in Switzerland are able to host it, that uh, also like our um, our hospitality industry can benefit out of it. And every now and then the, there are very interesting talks. I mean, also this year we, we heard a, a couple of interesting talks also 
I mean, you will cover it more about what what did people expect from the world economy, for example, and then also on a or on a more domestic or country level um, pr um, perspective, what are the expectations? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something that's interesting when looking at the WEF. You know, again, people have their their varying opinions, strong or less strong, and. Um, I, I like it to see it as Jamie you mentioned that it's you know it's this business event where people come and network or as you had mentioned and yes these are powerful people in the world surely and and um, but it's a it's a place for them to actually come together and communicate which actually is needed in all forms of business communication and sharing thoughts and ideas is is how things are developed and, and that was you know for me what was interesting was looking at what the economists were saying at the World Economic Forum, where you know over fifty percent, you know, are strongly in the the stance that there will be a recession um, coming this year, and even eighteen percent further were were very strong, saying that it's very likely a recession will come. So interesting facts like that just help us in the asset management world see okay, what are the economists looking at? What is the the thought of the majority again not that we always take what that majority says we have to look at the economy ourselves but it's you know it's it's, it's still good to give little signals or areas to look into absolutely and i think what a lot of people also forget is um, the world economic forum is also a company it's not just the event that happens in january um, it's also throughout the year they put in a lot of work and like gathering data and publishing various studies so um, maybe it's also interesting to have a look at what they do throughout the year and not just focus on the event alone. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. A lot of people just focus on certain speeches. I think, Ward, you had been mentioning before about a speech um, from Mr. Jordan, the, the president of the Swiss National Bank, that you were interested in hearing what he had to say. Yeah, so he, he gave a, a brief interview to one of the media and he basically there are two points which I find very interesting and also uh, from my perspective give a lot of credibility to him as a person but also as a representative of the, of the Swiss National Bank. So one point was he, he mentioned or stressed that probably most central banks did underestimate inflation. And I think making this statement gives back a lot of credibility instead of just trying to uh, cover it somewhere and say, oh, I know, no, we were aware and we reacted and everything's fine. And the other one is that he also mentioned that uh, one must not underestimate the second round of inflation. And we have seen that very strongly in, uh, in the 80s where uh, inflation seemed to come back and then we peaked again. And that is something, especially right now, where we see like an environment, uh, especially also in the uh, the financial um, part with the markets going up and rallying kind of again, that there is a lot of hope uh, that central banks will ease on the, on the increase of interest rates and that might be that they will not be as, um, as strongly increasing interest rates as they used to do, but they have to be very careful that they do not underestimate that there are still quite a few companies that haven't increased interest, uh, not interest rates, but prices uh, as they should do, considering what the, uh, uh, the original or the raw material costs or put-in costs are. So there could be more price increases coming this year 
and we should really take that into consideration um, when we estimate uh, or evaluate the economy. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think again that's wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful speech to have to hear, where someone you know, like a, the head of a central bank, like the Swiss National Bank, is able to say that in front of other world leaders, to 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 then push again to remind them, hey, let's not let's not not lose track. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool. Well, that was kind of. Uh, I guess what we're going to talk about for the web at the moment, um, and I'd like to now transition into what we're going to talk about today, which is um, client relationships, so going beyond performance and what that means for us um, in, in taking care of our clients, our, our, our business relationships, and even um, communicating with prospects or people, potential business, business partners. Um, so maybe, Jamie, uh, you could start us off with sharing from your perspective as a CEO and, and a relationship manager. How, how important um, client relationship is to us as a company and also from your perspective? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the, the main reason for us existing. Um, my dad, who founded the company, um, used to say that the only reason they exist is because banks do such a horrible job at like talking to their clients and building relationships with them. And I think that's really how we as a company try to separate ourselves. Yes, we're independent, so we can give more independent advice. We don't have any in-house products. Those things are important. Um, We do a good job on on investing. I think that's essential as well. But at the end of the day, how we set ourselves apart is by building relationships. And we put in a lot of time and effort to make sure that every relationship manager we have has an amount of clients that he or she can manage, that we don't um, overburden our relationship managers with too many clients. Um, so for now, currently, we have about 35 to 40 clients um, per relationship manager, whereas with a larger bank, that usually goes up to the hundreds or sometimes even thousands, depending on the size of the client. So we have certain minimum investment sizes, but with that, we can ensure that we only have as many clients that we can actually know in person. So if a client calls us, um, we know them, we know who they are, we know about their spouses and children and their careers, and that's really important to us. I mean, as a company, again, it's what sets us apart, but also for me as a, a human being, I enjoy most being in touch with other human beings and learning about their stories, learning about their values. So I think, yeah, it's absolutely key to what we do. Yeah, I, I think that's really important to, you know, in, in the world of automation, Whenever there's a problem with your credit card or the bank, usually you call the bank and you get an automatic message directing you to ten different, you know, platforms or you know directions. And at the end, it's tough to find the right one that's gonna actually lead you to a person. Yeah. And that's something personally I really love about our company is they call and they get a person immediately, or they write us and they get a person immediately and not get forwarded on. So their problems are really taken seriously and, and that they know they, they know who they're calling and they want to get to know us and, and really spread that relationship. Or then I would also be very interested to hear from your perspective as our CIO, your, our Chief Investment Officer. Obviously you have a lot to do with the investments and, and the, the strategy of our portfolio building, but you're also a relationship manager. And what I've seen in interacting with the banks is the, the investment guys are less able to, to handle client communication. So could you maybe speak about how you've been able to really develop those relationships and, and what it means to you, I guess, as well, of what, what that uh, customer care is? Yeah, so I, I totally agree with what Jamie said, and I think there are so many aspects to the uh, relationship building process with the client. It's much more than just um, performance. 
I mean, of course, performance is important and uh, you sh should really uh, make the money for your client, but you should also take your client on board on the journey of like growing and developing your wealth. So for me, it is really important to get the client to a point where he or she feels comfortable with the whole setup, feels comfortable with the investments we do. So a very um, more or less recent story from last year, I mean, uh, markets were very, very volatile last year. I mean, most of uh, our listeners probably would do know about that. And I had one client in, in particular who got very nervous about this volatility, even though it was much less than the market overall did. But then I, I scheduled a call, a Zoom meeting with the client. I went through the positions, through the portfolio, and explained why, why we are doing it. What are the thoughts behind that? And of course you can't do it with every client and not every client requests that. Uh, I'm very glad for that. But um, it is important to really uh, emphasize with the clients and see, okay, what, what is their position? What is uh, the part you're managing for them? How much is it of their total wealth? What is their, uh, what are their plans? So there is a lot of understanding, a lot of communication that should go into this client relationship to really uh, create something which can endure over decades in the best case. Yeah. Uh, I think that's so important, especially also what you said about the portfolios. I mean, we need to know our clients to actually build those individualized portfolios, right? So we, we don't have just like a one size fits all fund strategy and we just sell the same fund to every client. We make direct investment and in order to pick the right investments and, and sell at the right time, we need to know um, what are our clients looking to achieve? As, as we said, what, what is their risk tolerance? What is their willingness um, to be involved? We have some clients who are extremely hands-off and they say, hey, I pay you to manage this for me so I don't have to um, take care of it. So maybe we only speak once a year with them. But then we also have clients who utilize us um, as, as like a, an education provider if you so well. We have some clients that want to learn through us, that want to pick our brains and, and see the thought process behind. Sometimes we also have um, contact with one family member that has very good knowledge and then maybe a child or a spouse who is not as well versed and then we're also happy to take them on board. So I think that's really what we pride ourselves is in, that we look at every client and at every family, look what they need and how they want to hear from us. Some people prefer a video meeting, some people prefer a telephone call, some also just want to hear or from us over email and we adhere to that and I think that's also important that clients understand that our way of communication is also individualized to what they want and need. Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really good point that we don't look at clients as a number. Yeah. We don't look at clients as, you know, this we have this set service that we're just gonna give that client. We really take it in as an individual. How, how do we interact with them? What's the best way to interact with them? And we set that up with them. I mean, at the end of the day, as you guys have stressed and we've talked about many, many meetings, um, you know, we're here in a trust business and we have to build that trust through relationships and that takes time and effort you know like who was you know sitting down with the client to really describe to, to explain what's our thought process what's happening here and and i think i think that really helps i was i was in a in a in a conference or a presentation um, talking about how registered investment advisors communicate with their clients and they were just looking at pure pure statistical evidence of how often a, a registered investment advisor contacted their client or gave them an update on anything. 
and the satisfaction of the client base. And it was very interesting to see that it was a study looked at in the US, of US registered investment advisors, and they, the, the clients that were contacted less than once a year, their satisfaction dropped. But the clients that were contacted once to two to three times a quarter, their satisfaction went up, regardless of performance. Yeah. And I think that really shows into the personal nature of what we're doing and the business that we're in. And, and it's something I've really loved since coming on board here, you know, a year and a half ago, is just the actual care and desire to to care for our clients. I mean, there's if, if there's ever an issue, I think what's really one of the one of the really cool issues is that our clients have access to our owners. Yeah. You know, and, and if there's an issue, it's talked amongst with the owners to try to resolve it and, and put all the heads together in the office and the team to, to really fix fix these issues or find the best solution. And, and I really like that. And, and I think it really it really allows the, the relationship managers to then find really good solutions or even the correct answers and the right information to give back to their clients. That's something that I think is is really important. Is it's you are you you are connected to your relationship manager, but you're also connected to the team because yeah. they're all they're all taking every problem from every client seriously. And we hear about the majority of issues that need to be solved. We're we're talking about as a team, and I and I really I really like that in our company um, because it really goes beyond performance. It goes beyond. Hey, just you know, send them an email back with the facts and figures. Yeah. There's, there's an emotional connection, you know, that, that interpersonal connection that we really search for to find the best way. Absolutely, and I think we also try our best to already start this process even before someone signs up with us because we're in such such a complex industry, um, cross-border wealth management. There's a lot of misconception, a lot of misunderstandings, also some fears and hesitation, and. We want to provide knowledge and expertise in this area, even to people who are never going to be clients um, to us, because we believe that the world is a better place, that the more information, like the more equally it is distributed, and maybe someone informs themselves and comes to the conclusion that it's not for them, and that's totally fine as well. But I think um, knowledge is power, and we want to empower the people who are interested in that kind of business that we are in um, to make the best decision for them. That's why we work so hard, and, and you just especially on um, putting out blog posts that are relevant, um, making social media posts, making this podcast, just to bring as much knowledge out there for free as possible so people um, feel like they are taken care of, feel like their worries and questions are taken seriously, and also to help them provide um, the information that they need to prepare themselves for like an initial consultation because the better prepared you go into such a consultation, um, the more fruitful it will be. So I think we already put a lot of effort into communicating, even with stakeholders, interested parties, prospects that are just interested in the topic and might not have um, the immediate interest or might not have the funds available needed to set up a working relationship with us. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting point because at the end of the day, we want people to want to go into business with us but we want them to find the right partner for them. Yes. Even if that's not us. Well, for sure. You know, and that's something that you guys, you know, you mentioned me putting a lot of social media stuff out, but that comes from you guys and the culture you guys have built here. And hey, we want to inform people so that they yeah. can go to various amount of people and really find who's gonna fit with them, who's gonna work for their, their situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an important point because we are working on having like a small client base, but a client base that really fits with us. That's why in an initial conversation, yes, the client or the prospective client has to do due diligence on us and whether we would be a good fit for them, 
we also do our due diligence and we don't want to onboard a client where we feel that they're looking for something that we don't provide or we feel it's not a good personal fit because the clients we have, we want them to be happy, we want them to feel comfortable with us. And if there's a feeling that that might not be the case, um, we prefer to, to send them to someone else, to a competitor even, um, to make sure that they're at the right place. Because yeah. a good fit and is, in, is essential in a trust-related um, business. Yeah. If, if the people don't trust us, then there's that's not a ground for a good, successful relationship. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the big the big key is the is the trust um, is held um, strong there. So, or do you have any thoughts on that of as far as how to build trust with business partners, or when you're going out and reaching not just with clients but prospective clients and and potential business partners? Do you have any thoughts about how how you I guess on a personal level approach that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can um, go into the uh, in the same direction as shame is to empower people to give them the material that they can do their due diligence, even though sometimes it's not uh, very uh, amusing. I mean, if if you give them out, uh, these are the questions you should ask a financial advisor before starting doing business with them, and then they approach you with these questions, and they say, oh, uh, how am I going to answer that in the best best way? But this also helps us to reflect on us and our services and whether we really like follow our walk, our talk. And uh, I mean, if then eventually a client ends up with us, it's, it's uh, as Jamie said, more fruitful. It will be a longer term relationship and it will also prevent uh, people from making mistakes. I mean, we have seen that several times in history, recently again with FTX going bankrupt, with the Madoff. Uh, scandal i mean there are so many like also financial advisors kind of out there who who don't have your best interests in uh, in their mind and so that's really something we want to show people how they can make sure that this is the case yeah because uh, maybe another example a couple of years ago i we onboarded a client he was with another investment advisor before and his investment advisor doubled his wealth within a year and he said I don't feel comfortable with so he liquidated and brought the money to us and said I'm more comfortable with I don't know let's say 5% a year but it's steady and I know what I'm invested in and then two years later he found out that it was a, a Ponzi scheme and he even had to repay part of it of his gain which is very uh, painful I mean, if you think you thought you, you made this money and so you got this money and then the regulator or the authority comes to approaches you and says, okay, we found out it's a Ponzi scheme, so you have to pay back your gains. That's not something you want. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think maybe Jamie, you can talk about why it's so important that we set up, I guess, with our, with our custodian banks as an example, why we make sure that there are certain things in place so the clients are fully informed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually wanted to bring that up just now as well because we combine the best of both worlds, right? We're a small boutique firm. We're five people. We're family-owned and managed um, in the second generation now. But at the same time, we don't hold a banking license, right? So the, the clients still have the security of having a larger deposit bank um, who actually holds the money uh, with us just having a limited power of attorney. So they have both 
um, sides of the coin, if you so will. And then we, um, because we value the, the trust that our clients put in us very highly, we also are very strict in the kind of banks that we work together with. And I think we have spoken about that in other episodes, so I'm not going to go into a lot of depth about it. But we are very selective with the kind of banks that we work together with. We have um, a multiple step process in how we select them. We are also in very close contact with them. Most of the banks we talk to um, on a daily basis, usually, um, at least on a weekly basis, just so we know what's going on there, just to make sure that the money of our clients is actually really at a safe um, place. And then, of course, we also have the communication of the bank in terms of the, the clients don't speak directly to people at the bank, but they have an online access to the bank account where they can see in real time what's happening. They can see what investments we made, if we have deducted management fees. This is also sort of passive communication um, that they get. Additionally, of course, also the quarterly uh, portfolio statements as well as the US tax statements that our banks provide for our clients every year. So yes, they have a lot of personal communication through our office where we actually build a relationship and a lot of our clients have friends over time where we got to celebrate major family lifestone milestones with them but at the same time they also get communication from the bank that's uh, working as our back office if, if we so will where they get the actual documentation from that side too yeah and i think i think that's that you said it the best that it's the best of both worlds you get really that individualized personal relationship plus the benefits of that bigger infrastructure, you know, private banking, access to that private banking sector. And I think that's where we've been able to really, I guess, hit the right niche market of being able to provide, you know, more access to that, that private banking industry um, with a, a higher quality interpersonal service. Cool, thank you guys so much for sharing. I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to do this and I look forward to our, our next podcast together. So am I, thank you so much again for joining us on this episode of the Swiss Asset Management Talks podcast. If you would like to learn more about WHVP, check out our webpage at whvp.ch or check us out at any of our social media handles at LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube by simply searching WHVP. Have a fantastic rest of your day.